first started preaching the message at Christmas on the true or the real Christmas tree, I planned to do it every other year. After the first time, some dear folk came to me and asked me if I was going to preach it next year, and I said, my plans were to preach it every other year. And they implored me to preach this message every year. And so I decided to do that. And then I found out that as I prepare for it each year, it isn't the same. It has the same basic message because the same basic part is true. But the Lord has added things and shown me things relative to this that I never had known or understood before. And it just seems that God has some new little thing every time I prepare to bring this message. So today I... I changed it slightly and called the message title instead of the real Christmas tree. I called it the true Christmas tree. I want to share this message with you today to explain why we follow in our traditions those things that may not have originated with a Christian purpose and a Christian message. God has a way of bringing his truth out of the deepest darkness. He has a way of bringing an understanding to us about himself and his word when we are caught up in those things that are not in accord with his plan and with his word. So God can speak to us through any means if we will see the scriptural message in it that he has planned and that he brings to us. I say that to help you understand why today I'm talking about an emblem that has no basis whatsoever in and of itself in the scriptures. That is to say, the Christmas tree. I don't think God forbids that. I know there are a lot of people who believe that he does. They're entitled to believe that. I don't believe it's anything of God except that it became a part of our culture. And as a part of our culture, I believe God has a way of bringing out of that a significant truth, a powerful truth for us to receive that will draw us closer to Him and help us see more clearly the perfect plan of God which is operable in all things in our lives and in the economy of the world. The Christmas tree. I found myself objecting to it more than one time over the years. But a few years ago, I began to more strongly accommodate it into my own thinking and my own believing because I began to see some things that God had to say through it. And I took scriptural messages and scriptural passages from it. So, in all honesty... For quite some time now, I've been preaching that there is a powerful Christian message, a powerful gospel message, a powerful salvation message in the Christmas tree. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, his perfect creation, there is a tree here from which you are forbidden to eat. It is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
There's another tree here. He didn't give them instructions about using it, but he said, this is a tree of life. And beside each other, here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. God said to Adam and Eve, you cannot eat the fruit of this first tree. He knew that it would bring to them the revelation of their sin and put them in a state of condemnation before him. But they failed God. They tested him. They denied his word. They opposed him, not realizing at the time perhaps that that's what they were doing, but they were. What would have happened if if Adam had chosen to eat from the tree of life, even though Eve had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what would have happened if they had made a different decision? It would have changed the whole posture, nature, and character of man as it relates to his standing before God in his eternal holy presence. It would have changed all of that. But sin has a way of insinuating itself into lives where disobedience prevails. And that's what happens here. If they had eaten of the tree of life, the testimony of God and all other things would have come true as well as it did about the consequences of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have expected to receive life. The mistake that is made when we gather at the places where God has said, this is my way and this is the opposition of my way. The mistake that is often made is some try to attain life by going on a path that is forbidden by God. Following a path that is forbidden by Father God will never lead you to eternal life. It will not lead you to the evidences of life, peace, joy, and the consequences of living in the presence and the personal power of God in your life. You have to follow God's way. When Adam and Eve chose the other way, they were saying, I want to be my own God. I choose myself, my way, over God's way. And that, my friends, is always a choice that leads the wrong direction and leads to destruction. I want to be my own God. If you decide that you want to plan your own salvation and attain salvation your own way, you're not going to accept God's way. It's just too gruesome. It's just too different. It's just too mysterious. It's just too unacceptable. It's just too unbelievable. There's a better way that I've come to. I've come to a way of understanding. I've come to an educated way. I've come into an enlightened way. There's nothing primitive about it. I have found the way of salvation. And my friend, every day that you think that you're walking the wrong path and going in the wrong direction, you're going in the way that leads not to life, but to death. Not to victory, but to destruction. So when Adam and Eve said they wanted to be their own God by choosing to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were, they were acting in disobedience. They were denying God's sovereignty, that God has a right to set things aside for himself. They were in rebellion, and rebellion is witchcraft. They were away from the presence of God, and they knew it. And God came to see them and to visit with them. They realized that they had done something that separated them from God. That's why we were trying to hide from him. And why they tried to cover themselves with the works of their own hands. But the tree of life 
unlike that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is a tree that represents eternal life. They could have lived forever if they had followed that, but they chose the wrong way. It represents Jesus, who is the source of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all life, eternal life, life now and life eternal, is in him. I'm talking about these trees now that were in the Garden of Eden. God's plan started with, a, with trees, the two trees. It started with the tree of sin, opening their eyes to sin and revealing sin to them, and with the tree of life. So from that very beginning, where God also slew the animal sacrifice so the blood could be provided for the covering of Adam and Eve's sins, he gave them choices. Four times in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is confirmed as a message of God. It's a representation. I'm not saying to you necessarily that in Revelation it's talking about a literal tree standing there. But it's a message of life. It's always of eternal life. But in Revelation, the scripture speaks about the tree of life. So all the way back from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God put a tree in his message to man. And then God has always confirmed that message as he has elaborated, elucidated, and enlarged his message of life to the world. This is where I said earlier, there's a place that you must anchor your faith in a miracle. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, able to take away the sins of the world, you must believe in the virgin birth. There's no other person in all the world ever born to a virgin except Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that qualifies him as man, and because he is a supernatural birth, it qualifies him as God. To take away the sin of the world, one had to be perfect, sinless man as the perfect Lamb of God. And one had to have the nature, the characteristic of God to be able to offer that supernatural, that un, 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 unrealizable, unspeakable gift that God has provided, uh, that gift of salvation, through Jesus Christ who died as God-man. Not God in man, not God in man, but as the God-man, making sacrifice for the sins of the world. So, so we cannot miss the fact that his birth was supernatural. We read this morning in the scriptures that his birth was announced by angels. The wise men from afar were drawn to him by the supernatural star and its miraculous appearance to them. And when they came, they found the babe laying in a manger, at least the shepherds did, when by the time the wise men got there, he'd been moved out and was in a house. But they, the shepherds who came when the announcement was made that this day is born to you in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When they followed that message, and when they came to the stable where they saw the babe 
wrapped in swaddling clothes, as the angel said they would find him. He was, his little form, his little body was laying in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough for animals made out of wood. The carpenter's art produces it. Or perhaps sometimes just the farmer puts the pieces of wood together, nails them in there, and puts it in place for the child, not for the child, but for the animals to eat from. And the Mary and Joseph used it as a place for the child to have his first cradle. And when the shepherds got there, that's how they found him, as the angels said they would. So here he is now, one more time, connected to a tree. In the beginning of God's plan, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. All the way down now to the succeeding centuries where Jesus is born and he begins his life from the womb of a virgin and in a manger made of wood. He is connected to a tree from the very beginning of his life. And that's significant as you look ahead, knowing as you do by the scriptures what's going to happen in the termination of the earthly, physical life of Jesus in this world as he is taken to a cross and crucified. God keeps that tree in his picture. And, and, and I don't know that this has vast spiritual significance. I'm not going to claim it to you as some brilliant revelation, but it is of interest to me that Jesus was born into the household of a carpenter, a man who worked with wood worked with trees, because there was always a tree in the plan of God for the life and the sacrifice of his son. There was always a tree in God's plan. And then along came somewhere, somebody to start something. Who knows? There's a lot of history about it, and I have no interest in going into it with you, how the Christmas tree started. But now... It's a great, great thing in our culture. So everywhere you turn, there are Christmas trees. I didn't realize it until I started thinking about this as I walked in here this morning. Not that this is the first time that I've seen it, but I realized we've got a little tree here, a little tree there, a big tree back there. I think there's one out in the foyer, isn't there? A tree. I may not. I may be wrong. There used to be in a minute. It doesn't matter. There are Christmas trees everywhere. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And everywhere you look, you'll see one of some kind or another with its own peculiar appearance, different colored lights, single colored lights, multicolored, all kinds of things. And, and, you, and you will see in certain places, you'll see huge trees, taller than many buildings. There's one in New York City. There's one in Washington, D.C. I'm sure there are other places as well. And most people don't know the true significance of that tree that God has allowed to flourish in our culture. They look at it as just another Christmas tree. But it isn't the real tree. The Christmas tree on Christmas should just remind us of the real tree. Because the Bible says that there is a tree in the economy of God designated and designed for God's specific peculiar and mysterious purpose, that tree has no lights on it. That tree has no tinsel. That tree has no branches. 
That tree is just two pieces of rough wood hewn from the trees of the land of Israel and then connected together to form just the bow of a cross. Connected together so that that tree had no joy in it for the person who did not understand it. That joy brought no brightness. Brought, that tree brought no light, no, no joy, brought no brightness, brought no light. That tree was a message of darkness until we found one who could go and suffer on that tree as the sacrifice of God, the Father, for the sins of the world. And when he did so, he changed that tree to another message. The message of Calvary is not just the message of death. The message of Calvary is not completely symbolized in the fact that it took place on a hill that was said to look like a skull. The message of Calvary in the plan of God is a message of life. For in the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, we found ourselves with a new life, with a new opening to life. And Jesus, three days later, coming forth from the dead, validated all of that, that his death was a supernatural death. His resurrection came forth to provide that all of that was a supernatural act. It wasn't a tree that we can make and form like we do the Christmas tree. It was a tree formed by the hand of God, unknown to the Roman soldiers. They were God's unique instruments to put together this message of torture, this message of vilification, this message of destruction that was to annihilate the plan of God. And that was Satan's purpose, never knowing that in the, underneath the surface, just beneath the knowledge of man, there was the knowledge of God. And God had an eternal design in that tree. God had a, an eternal determination in that tree. And that was to save those who would believe its message, to save those who would believe that the Christ who was dying there, the Messiah who was breathing his last there, was going to be the Savior of all who would come to him in faith and believe in him. So the real Christmas tree, the true Christmas tree, is God's greatest gift to us. The Bible says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift and his gift beyond the words that we have to speak is the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. So when God allowed Jesus to go to the cross and, 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 and accept the, the sacrifice that he had to make, he became the curse of God, not because of him. He became the curse of God because he was taking the sins from the judgment table of God for all of us, vicariously dying for us and providing for us a substitute that no other could provide. This is the message over which the world stumbles. But it is also the message of God's eternal salvation. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is to those who perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Because we see its eternal value. We see its everlasting impact. We see it's glorious, heavenly salvation. And that's the plan of God 
by his spiritual eyes and the grace of God for us, he has allowed us to see that in his eternal plan. So the whole story of creation, the Garden of Eden, the whole story of that is confirmed on the cross. Not just the tree, but a cross. If you look at that Christmas tree, that's the message of the culture of the world. Oh, it says some good things. It speaks of joy. It speaks of giving. You can find some good things out of the message of that tree. But you will never find the message in that tree that is the message of this tree. is the real message of the real tree that Jesus died on the cross, stained it with his blood, secured it with his holiness and purity, and by his willingness to give himself as a sacrifice for man, he confirmed that he had carried the curse for us. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was a prophecy. Jesus bore the curse of sin for us. And without this tree, not without the Christmas tree, we can have Christmas without that tree. We can have Christmas without this tree. But we can't have Christmas without this tree. Because that's what Christmas is.